Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. Well, good evening, everybody. We are on part seven of eight of our Revelation series. And so we are going to be flying tonight, which so is Jesus at this point in the book of Revelation. So we're just going to mount the white horse right next to him and just get ready to fly. Um, What's that? (laughs) There we go. Aircraft carrier over here. Very good. And uh, if if we get that back screen up, media booth, just so I can uh, be conscious of time as we're going through this. But uh, let's turn quickly to Revelation 21. We, we didn't leave off here, but I'm just kind of fast-forwarding us a little bit so we can just kind of get the final picture where this whole story is going, and then we're going to back up a few chapters and talk about how we're going to get there. So Revelation 21, verse 1, says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, nor will there any longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away, and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Amen. So, Revelation 21, this is where it's going. It's going to a new heavens and a new earth. That God is completely renovating and cleansing the heavens and the earth which we, in which we dwell right now. And he's preparing it for this holy city to come down from heaven from God and that God is going to tabernacle with his people in a very present, very immediate, very um, powerful way. Those are the best words I can think of it. Um, So God is coming to the earth, and that's really what this book is culminating to, is the return of God to the earth. Um, But we're still a few chapters back. Chapter 19 is where we left off last week. We saw the bold judgments and the fall of the city of Babylon um, that, was the, that was the main power base of the Antichrist. And the reason it was important to release the bold judgments, they were destroying the city of Babylon, all of its infrastructures, and they, because it was so wicked and corrupt. And the, it was, the city was drunk with the blood of the saints. So we, we had a pretty intense week last week. Actually, the past three or four weeks have been intense. Um, and we're closing the intense part and really getting into the, the, the hap- happily ever after part of the book, which, thank God, you know, we win in the end. That is good news. Um, so where we left off again, the bold judgments, the fall of the, Sid- the, the harlot Babylon, um, we enter in right now to Revelation 19.11. And I'm not going to read this, but I'm just going to um, start describing it. After that fall of Babylon, the heaven breaks out in rejoicing that that wicked city has finally been destroyed. And then heaven opens, and the one on a white horse with eyes like a flame of fire, with head, <laughs> with his hair like wool, with a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, he is marching with all the armies of heaven clothed in white. And I mean, this is, this is intense. He is making a triumphal entry and a royal procession into Jerusalem and wiping out the Antichrist and his armies with the armies of heaven. So it's intense. And it's, we mentioned before a few weeks ago that this procession of Jesus, this royal procession is happening in three stages. First, he came across the sky to rapture the church. Second, he hit the ground and is marching through the land, releasing the bold judgments on the Antichrist worshipers and empire. And then stage three, final stage, which is where we are now in Revelation 19.11, he's marching victoriously into Jerusalem with uh, with all of the armies of heaven 
clothed in white. So I've got some verses there in your scripture notes from other passages in the Bible that tell us about this. But what is he doing here as he's entering in? Well, he's setting free captives. The Isaiah 61 chapter is a very literal chapter. That the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon him to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim liberty to the captives. There will be a host, there will be a scourge of persecution against both Jews and Christians at this time. And I believe Jesus is going to be setting free Jewish captives that have been enslaved by the Antichrist, and he is setting them free by releasing these bold judgments and then marching into Jerusalem to save his people. I know, it's, it is as intense as it sounds. And the Antichrist, he's gathered all the kings of the earth to fight against Jesus, to wipe out the people, the, the Jewish people that are in Jerusalem, and to, and to wage war against Jesus and the saints. So that's what's happening in Revelation 19. Um, you know, you get a little, uh, I showed a video clip a few weeks ago from Chronicles of Narnia, where Aslan is, is marching into the battle scene, and the white witch is there about to knock down Peter, but then Aslan comes and the roar is heard, and I mean it's just all the armies that have been raised from the dead start coming behind Aslan, and they march straight into battle. That's exactly, exactly what's happening right here in Revelation 19. And I tell you, that wicked witch, or that wicked antichrist in this case, is going to be slain and destroyed. And so Jesus, he kills, with the armies of heaven, they kill the antichrist worshipers. They capture the antichrist and the false prophet and cast them alive into the lake of fire. I mean, it's intense. It's all right here in Revelation 19. Um, and so... And all of the Antichrist worshipers that are there, they are executed. Not one makes it. And Re- Isaiah, uh, um, um, 2 Thessalonians 2, um, um, he, he slays the Antichrist by the brightness of his coming. And then Zechariah 14, that the words out of his mouth strike a plague and destroy his enemies. And so when it says the word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, that's real. Jesus is in partnership with his people, releasing the word of the Lord, releasing the songs of heaven, and it is striking to death all of the Antichrist worshipers on this scene. It's it's intense. So, the war is over. Jesus has won the war. The kings of the evil kings of the earth have been killed in this battle which is creating a huge political vacuum in the nations that God intends to fill. And when this war is won, it, it, um, um, Satan is bound. An angel comes in, binds Satan for a thousand years, and it initiates this 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth called the millennium. Can we say that word? Millennium. One more time. Millennium. Very good. Not like millennials. I mean, this is like, of course, you know, the millennials in Revelation 20 are pretty awesome. So <laughs> we millennials now, we hope to, we aspire to be like these guys. Um, so what is the millennium? The millennium speaks of a literal 1,000 year period where Jesus will rule on the earth. It's from the Latin word mile and anus. It means a thousand years, literally. So I'm going to start talking a little bit about what's happening during this millennium. I think it's an extremely important chapter in the Bible, Revelation 20, um, because this is where we see Satan bound and we see Christ's victorious reign infiltrating the entire earth and all the nations. But why, why are we talking about this? What's so important about this millennium? What's important about these last few chapters of Revelation 19 and through, through 22? Can't we just say Jesus wins and it's all done and we move on <laughs> and eat cake? 
Well, the reason why this millennial reign is important and really paying attention, close attention to these last few chapters is because it challenges us to order our lives in light of eternity. Because in the next age, in this millennial reign, and then beyond that, which we'll get to next week, we see that God is still actively partnering with his people in governing the earth. That God isn't just taking us into the eternal praise and worship service. Now that's going to be going on too. But God's going to be deeply partnering with his people. And the way we respond to Jesus in this age, on this side, today, the measure that we grow in meekness, love, humility, obedience to Christ, will determine the role that we partner with Jesus in the next age. Our actions matter. Our decisions matter. Our yes to Jesus in this side matters for eternity. And so it, it challenges us to order our lives for this next age. And it gives us hope. It gives us hope of this future. It gives us hope. And, and when, we, when we have an eternal mindset, we can live in the present with hope, with power, with courage, and with confidence. All right, so let's talk about this millennium. What's it going to look like? This is a literal 1,000-year period. Now, I'm, there are different views on this, by the way. Some people take this 1,000 years very symbolically. Some people take it as if it's already happened. Um, some people take it as if we're in it currently, um, in a symbolic sense. I am just very boldly going to submit to you what my interpretation of this from the Word is that this is a one a literal 1000 year period where Jesus where Jesus will reign on the earth with the saints okay so at this point the kingdom of god is going to be openly manifest worldwide in every sphere of life i mean every sphere that's that's currently in the earth right now the political sphere the social sphere the educational sphere the arts and the entertainment sphere Everything like that on the, that's currently on the earth is going to continue into the next age. There will be unprecedented blessing where Jesus will establish righteousness and prosperity. He will restore the agriculture, the atmosphere, the animal life. The rivers and the oceans. And so this is, a, this is really good news especially in light of the previous chapters where we just saw a lot of it pretty much go to hell. I mean, it was like, it was pretty intense. And Jesus had to destroy that which was corrupted by the Antichrist. But Jesus is rebuilding and restoring. And so we get into Isaiah 60 and 61. If you're in the charismatic church, you know the first few verses of both of those chapters. Arise and shine for your light has come. Deep darkness will cover the earth, but you shall arise, and the glory of the Lord shall be seen upon you. We all we we love that. But then it, but that's 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 real. But that's happening at the millennium. That's happening in the most manifest way possible. That the that the darkness that's covering the earth is going to be outshined by the light of Christ, and the saints are going to shine with the brightness of Jesus. But if you continue reading through Isaiah 16 and Isaiah 61, it talks about the restoration of the earth. It talks about the rebuilding of ancient cities. It talks about a cleansing of the earth. Ezekiel gets really detailed here about the cleanup from this final war. It's got a whole list of the cleaning teams. That are going, I'm serious, that are going to pick up the bodies, that are going to bury the bodies, that, is, that the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning are going to cleanse the land of the blood shed from this war. I mean, it's, it's intense. This is real. This is in our Bibles. I'm not making this up. Um, but God's restoring the earth to the Garden of Eden state. And he is going to tabernacle with us. 
In the millennium, all the kings of the earth will be saved and they will worship Jesus. They will base their governments on God's word. In fact, in Zechariah 14, it talks about the kings of the earth during this time period streaming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, which we've just celebrated on the Jewish calendar. All of the kings of the earth will be summoned in the millennial reign to come and celebrate that festival with Jesus. So, okay, some key things for understanding this millennial reign and what's going on during and after. There are three groups of people alive on the earth when Jesus makes this second coming procession in Revelation 19. Very important to understand this. Three groups of people. The the reprobate, this is in your notes, and the resistors. The redeemed, the reprobate, and the resistors. Can you say that with me? The redeemed, the reprobate, and the resistors. Very good. Who are these people? The redeemed are the born-again believers. They have the seal of God. They are the ones that are raptured when Jesus makes his procession across the sky. All of us get saved. All of us get a resurrected body. We are the resurrected saints, and we're actually riding with Jesus in Revelation 19, which is really awesome. So those are the redeemed. The reprobate, these are the Antichrist worshipers. These are the ones that have taken the mark of the beast. They don't repent. They don't want to repent. They will wage war against Jesus till the very death. These are the ones when he is marching through the land and coming into that final war in Revelation 19. These are the ones that are getting slain by, by Jesus. All will be hunted down and executed. And then finally, these resistors. Who are these people? Very key. These are people that have not received the seal of God, they haven't gotten saved, nor have they taken the mark of the beast. Okay? So it's actually, not everyone is going to do one or the other. There's going to be this middle group here, not quite ready for Jesus, but definitely not a fan of the Antichrist. Not taking that mark, going to hide in my trailer with my shotguns and shoot anybody within sight. Those are the resistors, okay? <laughs> um, not saved, haven't taken the mark of the beast. Very important, and we'll come back to them, but for understanding what's happening during this millennium. So just keep that in your mind. I'm on page three if you want to follow along. Um, there's three important sections that, uh, that uh, three important scenes that Revelation 20 describes is happening during this millennium, and they give us a lot of insight about the heart of God. The first one is Satan is bound. He's shut up, he's in prison, he's cast down into the abyss, and a seal is shut over his head. Secondly, the saints are reigning. We reign on the earth with Jesus. And then finally, Satan is released at the end of the thousand years. Why would that happen? We'll get to that in a few moments. So let's talk about a few of these. Um, we're going to do something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read out loud, but I'm going to need your help here. Because I'm going to read through just little passages of Revelation 20, section by section. And this um, word, this phrase, thousand years, comes up a number of times. Okay? So I invite you to follow along in your text. Um, but I'll say it. And so every time I say thousand years, when I see it in the text, you're going to say it all out together. Okay? You'll all say in unison, a thousand years. Okay? I'll, re I'll signal you, I'll go like this. But every time I come across it, we're going to say it, and I'm going to mark a tally on this board, okay? Revelation 20, verse 1. 
John says this, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Very good. One. Verse three. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years. Very good. It's two. Were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Ooh, mystery. Um, so we see here, Satan, this is a dramatic event. An angel is taking a chain around the most wicked demon <laughs> known to man and is tying him up with his chain. He's binding him. He's casting him into the abyss He's shutting a seal over him so that he can deceive the nations no more until this thousand years are finished. Now, yes, there, yes. <laughs> I won't count that because that was, yes, I was just repeating. Um, so this is very important here on what's happening because um, how many in here think that Satan might still be deceiving people on the earth today? Okay. Satan is still deceiving people. Satan is still deceiving a lot of people. But in this section, in this millennial reign, in this thousand years, Satan is not allowed to deceive anyone. Anyone. So I argue this has not happened yet. We haven't gotten to this place, but we will. So, verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them. And judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony to Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Very good. That's three. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. Again, four. Y'all are doing awesome. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Very good. Here's five. Five times we've seen that phrase. So what's happening here? Jesus is governing the earth in partnership with the resurrected saints. And as I'll highlight more in a little bit, but there's, there's really two types of kings that Jesus will be ruling and reigning the earth with at this time. We see one highlighted in this passage, and that's the resurrected saints. But there are those, there will be kings with non-resurrected bodies that Jesus will be ruling and reigning the nations with as well. And we'll come back to that. But all the governmental authority is going to be replaced, all that was under the Antichrist regime, and it's going to be put in the hands of those who exhibited meekness on the earth. And um, I've got some verses there, I won't read them all, but that talk about us ruling and reigning with Christ. And this is what's going to be happening here. We are going to be restoring the earth, we're going to be governing the earth, and we're going to be continuing to take the gospel across the nations. There's still work to do during this millennium. And, he, and you and I have an important part to play. And I mean, just, just imagine this. It is supernatural restoration of the earth. A, a rebuilding, a cleansing the land, a designing new cities, designing new districts, I mean, people that have got like the, the um, city design, the interior design, the, the arts and entertainment people, you guys get to be deeply involved in reestablishing these infrastructures on the earth. The educational systems are going to be rebuilt. We'll have to build roads where the oceans once were. Well, uh, <laughs> we will... Um, all of the governments will have to align their constitutions or their, 
to the word of God. The nations will stream into Jerusalem, Isaiah chapter 2, and be taught by Jesus. Jesus is going to hold these world, these global conferences in Jerusalem, teaching the word of God and teaching the kings of the earth how to govern their nations. This is, this is real and this is intense, but it's happening. So, um, you know, we, we, we kind of just get to Revelation in the end. We're just like the book closes and it's the eternal worship service. But no. So if any of you have seen Narnia or seen Lord of the Rings, I mean, those two movies, I mean, you just watch through all of those. I mean, you've got a pretty basic idea of what things are going to be like <laughs> in the end times and going on. But, um, but when Aslan slays that witch and they kill all the bad guys, there's the, the, that's, that's when the crowning happens of the, of the children. <laughs> they have a big coronation ceremony. And Peter and Edmund and Susan and, and Lucy, they all receive crowns, and they're ruling and reigning on the earth. It's pretty incredible. And it's just, you, if you've read any of the other books or stories, you see like there's stories that happen. There's still conquering to be done. There's still, there's, but, there's, but there's life and there's blessing with it. The, the worst has been taken care of, but the kingdom of God is still infiltrating the earth. It's going to be like that. Verse 7 of chapter 20. When the thousand years are completed, very good, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. Another war is coming. And the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast excuse me, and false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever. Okay, so Satan is released from prison. He wages one final war on the earth. And he gathers people that number, that, whose number is greater than the sands on the seashore. I mean, he's got a massive army behind him to march into the beloved city, which we'll see is the New Jerusalem. Um, now, a number of questions come up here. He's released at the end of the millennium, at the end of the thousand years. Why? Why would God do that? We had a thousand years. Or the bad guy <laughs> was bound, cast, shut, and sealed. Why would we let him out to deceive the nations once again? A couple of things. God is manifesting, or openly, he, he's openly manifesting the truth about the depth of human sin and lawlessness. That even in the context of a thousand years of blessing under the government of Jesus Christ and the kings of the earth that he has set up that are ruling in righteousness and justice, even in that environment, people will say no to Jesus. And so this humanistic, false sentimental notion that Jesus is this judges people unfairly, that he doesn't give them the opportunity to repent and to be a part of his kingdom, or, or, or that he's not doing everything he can on his end that he wants to do to, to bring them into the knowledge of God, that, that all of those lies will be laid bare at this time. Because it will be clear that even in the perfect environment to choose Jesus, a multitude that outnumbers the sands on the seashore will say no to him. And fire from heaven will come down and devour them. Secondly, it shows that Satan is incurably evil. He will not be rehabilitated during this thousand years in prison. He will grow in his hatred and his rage against Jesus. And the first thing that he does when he gets out is to start deceiving the nations and rallying them for war. God is demonstrating the justice of his eternal judgments. 
He shows that rehabilitation will not occur with Satan and that men and women will rebel even in an ideal environment because they love sin. Now, that begs another question. Who is he deceiving? You know, if we're the resurrected saints, is there going to be another opportunity for us to be deceived into sin? For the resurrected saints, no. But who are these multitudes? Who are these people? Resistors. These folks neither got saved nor took the mark of the beast before Christ returned. But when he returned, and I mean, they're seeing this. They're seeing the sky split and the angels go across the sky and the rapture of the saints and the bull judgments being poured out and the anti, the false prophet cast into a lake of fire. Like, they're watching these things. This is intense. And they're witnessing it. And then, and then I believe there's salvation that breaks out there. They turn their hearts to Jesus. All Israel is going to get saved during this time. Um, and so this is, so you have people that get saved after the return of Jesus both Jew and Gentile. And those that get saved after the return of Jesus don't get a resurrected body yet. They are still marrying and giving in marriage. They are still having children over the course of this thousand years. And their children will need to get born again. Their children will need to get born again. Their children will need to get born again. There's a whole group of people here that will be alive during this thousand years, that will be getting saved, that will be getting discipled. And that's why you and I in resurrected bodies, we're going to be going from the holy city into different parts of the nations, wherever Jesus assigns us, wherever he can trust us with, to help disciple these people and to bring them into the knowledge of God. But there are a multitude that outnumber the sand of the sea that will say no to Jesus and that will resist him to the end. We see in Revelation 11, 20, chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, we won't read it, the great white throne judgment that happens at the end of the millennium where every person will be judged. The righteous who have submitted to the lordship of Jesus, they will inherit this glorious city, the new Jerusalem, and the wicked will be raised to life and cast into the lake of fire. And then Revelation 21, which is where we started, a new heavens, a new earth, the tabernacle of God among men. And this holy city, this bright holy city, which we're going to spend time on next week, our final week, is going to land on the earth. And that the saints are going to dwell with Jesus in this, in this place. So, um, so we've seen that final war that just is fire comes down from heaven, puts an end to it, and then the earth is renewed and the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven. And then God does not hold back. I mean, he just starts, he spends these next two chapters just describing in detail the beauty of the city where the saints will live. Now, let's talk uh, about the millennial kingdom again briefly. And I'll make some final comments. Um, first of all, the reason I did this, how many times did we see the word thousand years come up in chapter 20? Six times. Six times. Six times that phrase has come up in that chapter. I think that is abundant evidence that when he says a thousand years, he means a thousand years. That these things are literally going to happen within that specific time frame. And there's a tendency to over-symbolize the book of Revelation to the point that it's just virtually unintelligible. Um, and most Christians are not familiar with this book because people have told them it's not that important. <laughs> or there's, there's just the enemy doesn't like Revelation 20 because it prophesies his doom. But during a thousand years, thousand years, thousand years, thousand years, thousand years, thousand years, all of these events are going to happen. Um, but secondly is, sometimes we, we have this false assumption that Jesus is just going to wave his hand and everything's going to be back to normal in the snap of a finger. That's not how it's going to happen. There will be supernatural power released in doing this, and so the saints will, will have our resurrected bodies. We'll be, well, I don't know. Will we be lifting things telepathically? I don't know. Um, but we will be rebuilding. We will be restoring 
and the, and the pro, natural processes of life will be continued. And, and I, I believe the, the decay that we saw after Genesis 3 and the fall, how men's lifespans over time gradually decreased, and how the corruption of the earth gradually increased, that we'll see a reversal. We'll see the renewal of the earth gradually increase, and we'll see the lifespan of these resistors um, that don't have resurrected bodies. That will gradually increase as well until the end of the millennium. And I've listed a number of Old Testament passages there. Um, But we'll reign with Jesus. There'll be rebuilt cities and infrastructures, prolonged human life, tamed wild beast. Isaiah 11, he's he's serious when he says the child will play with the the cobra and the lion. It's, It's real. Full reconciliation between Jew and Gentile, the celebration of Jewish feasts with all the nations, and the ruling of Jesus, our King, across the earth. Now, how, why is this important to me today? How does this affect my life? Because that's what we all really care about, right? How does this affect me? And that's a great question. How shall we live in light of this? In this life, there's two issues that we are determined in the grace of God. First, if we want to be in God's family, being born again, being saved, being in the kingdom of God. Secondly, if we want to function in Jesus' government for eternity. If we want to partner with him and, and, and hear my heart here. This, this sometimes is difficult for our hearts to connect with, but in the same way that your heart comes alive now in partnering with Jesus in the gifts and callings that he has put on the inside of you, the same way your heart lights up when you're moving in your strengths and in your giftings, that's going to carry over into the next age. And when we're faithful with the little here, he entrusts us with greater in the next age. And so, you know, all those parables that Jesus would tell about the talents. You're faithful with little. Come enter into joy. Come and receive more. The the parable of the cities. Certain men were trusted with a certain amount of cities. And those that were faithful, you've been faithful with little. Now come and reign over ten cities. And so it's, as we're faithful here, you're faithful in in your teaching position here. Loving people well being a witness for Jesus, taking opportunities as the Holy Spirit leads, walking in meekness and love in those in, as you operate in your giftings, that is, it's, it gets expanded and amplified in the next age. And I mean, it's, it's how far does your imagination go? I mean, I don't know where all of you stand, but some of you may, you may be a teacher, like Dora here, and, and Dora gets sent into the schools in Honduras, where she's from, or Italy, whatever you prefer, um, and she's 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 bringing the infrastructures into alignment with the Word of God, and she's operating her administrative and her teaching giftings at a level that she could have never asked for or imagined before. Musicians, singers, that gift gets amplified. And you're leading these worship teams in heaven, in the heavenly courtroom, before the throne of God. And you're encountering him, and you get to, and, and you, Jesus is in there in the center of this worship, and he points to you, and he's like, okay, Shana, it's your time. Sing that favorite song that you wrote when you were crying in your closet, and it came out. We all get to hear. And she sings, and everyone hears, and just an explosion of the glory of God comes. And, and Jesus' heart lights up, and Shana's heart lights up. All of us fall down before Jesus because the glory that's coming out of this song. <laughs> And Jesus says, I love that song so much. Will you go teach it to the house of prayer down in Texas? <laughs> you know, Will you go down to Dallas and teach them this song and get with their worship teams and start teaching them and training them to operate in this level of glory? This, and I mean just wherever you are, where just whatever God has gifted you with, and 
What's important here is it's faithfulness in two ways. Faithfulness in stewarding those gifts and callings well and using them under the leadership of Jesus, but also how we carry our hearts during that time. I mean, it's just Sermon on the Mount. Meekness, love, and humility. And that's the focus. Because the meek will literally inherit the earth. The position we have in the next age is entirely dependent upon our heart response to Jesus in this age. Growing in meekness, growing in love, growing in humility. This is, this is practical things. This is that making a covenant with our eyes not to look on anything defiled and pure. This is making a covenant with our speech. God set a guard over the door of my lips. I want you to trust me with words in the next age. Managing our time, using our money to increase the kingdom of God, not getting bound up by greed, by fear, by selfish ambition and self-promotion. And if in this age, now is the time to be saying, God, cleanse and purge my heart of those things so that I stand before you without blame, without shame, and that I can enter into the fullness of my destiny in the next age. We will each be rewarded according to our deeds in this age. And the day of the Lord will reveal by fire and test our work. So what do we do? We say, Jesus, have it all now. You can have it all, Lord. That song, I'm just playing it over and over. It's, it's time to surrender everything now. It's time to say, Jesus, I want to fix my eyes on the next stage to say, there's what, what I do really matters. I want to stand before you confident. And he'll help you. You don't have to do this on your own. You submit, you open your hand, you say, Jesus, search my heart, try me, cleanse me, purge me. Test me, purify me, make me come and shine like gold. Because I tell you, it's going to enhance your, your life and your calling in this age and in the next. And Jesus will reward you in this age and in the next. No one that has left anything for God will be left empty-handed either in this age or in the next. He will increase, he will multiply, and it will powerfully move your heart. In this age and in the next. So set your hearts to obedience. Don't give Satan, he's going to the lake of fire. Don't give him any hooks in your heart. Say, God, I'm going to set my heart to be fully abandoned to you. Amen? Amen. Okay. We're going to take about three questions. Jen. Okay. So let me see if I understand your question. So when Jesus comes back, your question is, will there still be people that survive, bad guys that survive, that are going to continue reproducing and spreading wickedness across the earth? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, now, I believe the, the Antichrist worshipers, it's going to be similar to kind of like Nazi Germany, okay? Those that were involved in the Third Reich, they fled. Now, everyone that was there, they were put on trial, sentenced all of those things, but some had escaped. That's possible. I'm not sure, but I, I imagine it happening similar to that. Uh, this, that Jesus, and Jesus is, he's, he's not a, Jesus is not a fool. You know, like he, he knows all things. You can't hide from Jesus. Um, so I believe there will be any that, that, that survive that final war, um, any that survive, which will be very few, I believe, will scatter throughout the earth, but Jesus is going to make sure they're hunting down their sentence and they're executed. Um, now, amongst these resistors, um, I find it, 
I, I think everyone that sees Jesus is going to be really hard for them not to get saved. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's just put it that way. Um, but they're going to have children that can have to continue being discipled. And so some in those coming generations will say no to Jesus. And there will be pockets of rebellion throughout the earth um, that, will be, that will be rare, but that will be significant by the end of the millennium. So much so that Satan is easily able to deceive. And so the measure that will be before Satan is released from prison, I'm not sure. But there's some level of resistance to Jesus in their conscience that allows them to be susceptible to that, to that final deception, even in the midst of an environment of, of blessing. Does that answer your question? Okay, good. Clint, I saw your hand coming up. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. Right. Yes, I, whether like, right, right, rather, whether the goats are all antichrist worshipers, I don't know if I would say all of them are, but I would say, so Matthew 25 is referring to, you see Jesus sitting on his throne of glory. He's dividing the sheep and the goat nations. That word is in the text. It's at the end of the seven years. Yeah. Um, and so that's, um, so at the beginning of the millennium, Revelation 19 happens, the war is won. And then Jesus starts holding account the nations and the kings of the earth. And how they responded to, I believe, two groups of people. Because Jesus says, what did you do for the least of these brethren of mine? Now those can refer to one or two groups of people. And people agree or disagree. Some, that may be, actually, he says my brethren. That can be, so Christians. And remember, there's going to be a lot of persecution during that time. And so there will be nations that have the opportunity to house Christians and keep them safe during this scourge of persecution. And I believe those nations will be answerable to how they responded. But also, there's going to be a scourge of persecution against the Jewish people. And again, and so that, I think, is to Jesus as a Jew, these brethren of mine, how they responded to them as, as they were fleeing from the Antichrist and fleeing captivity. How did the nations respond and I think in a, in just in a similar way, it's like with the Holocaust, they're, they're sort of holding of an account. Like, which nations refused the Jews when they were fleeing persecution? For a time, unfortunately, ours was one of those, um, as many others were. Um, other people, other places were specifically open to hiding them as refugees of sorts. Um, and I, so I believe that's, What's going on in Matthew 25? Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Rob Hatch. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> it's mostly, I, I can answer that shortly. This earth that we see, this heavens and this earth, it's going to pass away, and a new heavens, new earth is going to come. Now, there is debate as to what nature of that. Will this be 
completely unrecognizable and towards a totally new earth is like there's a whole new earth physically or is this one getting renewed and renovated? That's kind of the, those are the options there or we're just totally symbolic and we don't care at all. Um, you know, that's always an option too. Um, a bad one, in my opinion. Um, I believe it's going to be more of a renovated earth and it's going to be shaped. So, I mean, the bull judgments do so much damage. Every mountain and island is moved out of its place. I mean, it will not be recognizable. Um, and so even the bold judgments are really going to shift and shake. And a huge earthquake, the most massive one in history, will happen. So it will move the earth very significantly. But over the course of the millennium, there'll be renewal and restoration. So, and it will look so new by that time, and there will be, it'll, it will be, it's being prepared over that course of the thousand years for the new Jerusalem coming down, which is next week. The new Jerusalem's coming down, but the earth is prepared for a thousand years, and there's that final cleansing by fire to purify it, so much so that it just looks brand new. And I think it's just, we look at ourselves. Matthew is a new creation. The old has passed away. Now, physically, when Matthew got saved, he physically looked like Matthew before he got saved. But he was a new creation. The old passed away, the new it's come. In the same way, when we get resurrected, Matthew's going to have a new glorious body. And I'm telling you, just watch out for the glory. Um, not because it's mine, but because it's Jesus shining on me. <laughs> and same with all of you. But I'm still going to be recognizable as Matthew. And you're going to be able to look at me and say, wow, that first Matthew has totally passed away. Behold, the new Matthew has come. So, and I think it's going to be the same with the earth. It will still be the earth, but it'll be a brand new, renovated, glorified, incorruptible earth. Amen. Tracy. Oh, my Atlanta. It's, it's a giant Texas. <laughs> All right. On that note, God bless Texas and God bless you. Have a great night. Thank you.